Hey, if you're invested in the Las Vegas mayoral race, and really, we should all be, you're going to want to check out the Nevada Independent Mayoral Forum on Wednesday, May 15th at the Fountain Blue. The Indy CEO, John Ralston, will be moderating a live panel with the three frontrunners. You know, it could get spicy, so don't miss it. Tickets are available at thenevadaindependent.com slash events. And as a bonus for CityCast Las Vegas members, we've got two pairs of tickets we're giving away tonight. So make sure to join at membership.citycast.fm if you haven't already. Per Las Vegas usual, we got a lot of news from the past week to cover today on the CityCast Las Vegas Roundup. So let's get right into it. The WNBA champion aces are under investigation. Celebrity-owned cannabis is spouting up everywhere. And a Hawaiian state senator is trying to ban Nevada and only Nevada casino ads from showing up on their islands. Here to help us round up the news are my co-hosts Vogue Robinson and culture maven Andrew Corrali, publisher of TheList.Vegas. It's Friday, February 10th, 2023. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Great to see you, Vogue. Hi, good morning. And hey, Andrew, welcome to your first CityCast Las Vegas. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Andrew, we're going to put you on the hot seat first. You're a sporty fellow. So explain why the Las Vegas Aces may be in some hot water. Oh, yeah. Funny you should ask. So, yeah, the WNBA is investigating allegations that the Aces kind of snuck around a a league-wide salary cap by offering players extra money under the table. So, yeah, a bit of uh, a bit of scandal there. How did that come about? So uh, the, the whole scheme isn't exactly like the height of uh, cloak and dagger. It apparently worked like this. Um, someone from the Aces would be on a phone call with a prospective new player that they want to hire. Uh, they would end the phone call and they say, you're going to get a call in a few minutes from a, a company. And this company would call the prospective new player up or a, or a player who uh, was looking to extend their contract. And it would be like, hey, this is Joe from XYZ Company, and uh, I have a job for you, an extra, say, $50,000 for no work at all. So this kind of no work job offer kind of thing was a, a way for the uh, for the Aces to kind of get around the, uh, the league-wide salary caps. If true. If true. The alleged, <laughs> alleged calls. Right. I don't think we have any names of companies or any real specifics, and and no one's really reporting on any of that yet, but it seems to be early, only a confirmation that there's some kind of investigation. So my understanding is that it has to do with Erica Hamby, so she's one of the previous players on the team. But what's kind of the the in-between drama of the story? So Derricka Hamby, in a recent social media post uh, following, she got traded to the Los Angeles Sparks. She accused the Las Vegas Aces of unprofessional and unethical treatment um, surrounding her pregnancy. And uh, yeah, so that kind of brought some extra scrutiny to uh, the Las Vegas Aces. I mean, that's really interesting how a league of female athletes treats a pregnant 
athlete is definitely something worth scrutiny and see if they kind of broke any kind of rules or there was mistreatment. I think in that same social media post, Andrew, I saw something about her saying, and they didn't give me some of the uh, enticements or incentives, something like that, that they promised they were going to give me. And that, I think, raised everyone's eyebrows like, oh, are they going around this salary cap and now potentially this investigation? Wow. So the the upset isn't really whether or not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the incentives are happening. The issue is she's mad she didn't get hers. Well, and she said, yeah, she was like, like definitely they they ranting. Were give me right. But then her complaint opened up the window to, oh, by the way, this is the thing they're doing. They're promising people incentives and therefore paying people more than what they said they're going to pay people. Right. And then some reporting is like, yeah, we think that might be this whole workaround that now Vegas might be busted doing. And I think some people think, is Vegas the only ones who are doing this, if they're even doing it? And are we only focusing on Vegas because they just won? You know, that's what it feels like. I feel like they're all up in our business as a result of that. But I think that brings forward the question around salary caps, right? Because I think they do this with Mm -hmm. um, college athletes, too. And so the college athletes have just gone through a lot of conversations around what they get paid and whether or not they can own their names and things like that. But we're talking about, okay, this is people's careers. This is their professional job in the game, but there's a salary cap. Right, right. So let's focus on the salary cap because that's the one that seems to get everyone's attention. Why do we even have salary caps in the WNBA or anywhere, Andrew? (laughs) Well, yeah, and there is a lot of conversation about the the point and the purpose of of salary caps. And uh, to kind of rewind, yeah, so that's the problem with these these conversations that the Las Vegas Aces were allegedly having is that they're, you know, violating the salary caps that were set in the 2020 uh, collective bargaining agreement, the league-wide bargaining agreement. And do we know how much that is? I don't think it's a big number. I think this year it goes to like 1.4 million for your entire team. What? And I guess the, the yeah, so it's not a lot. It comes out to about 215,000 per player um, if you calculate it a certain way. And I, you know, the point of these salary caps originally had to do with controlling costs and kind of, you know, keeping the competitive playing fields competitive, right? Um because you don't want Dr. Evil coming in and saying, "I'm going to form the dream team" by offering every player $1 billion, right? Yeah, and then, a billion dollars. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, yeah, the infamous $1 billion. Um, so the idea of salary caps is that it keeps things competitive so you don't have rich teams, rich cities just artificially dominating the literal playing field. Vogue, that does not seem like a lot of money for an entire WNBA team. I'm looking through it. And so when we talk about the WNBA and the NBA, there's always been discussions about inequity between how they're treated, what their training facilities look like, and then, of course, how much they get paid. For the NBA players, their average is a little over $8 million. That's the average per player. Whereas women get paid $75,000. That's the average pay for women in the WNBA. Uh, Same thing with golf. Golf has a big gap as well. For men's golf, it's $1 million. Women's, it's 48000 And it goes down the line. Soccer, softball, tennis, the gap is massive in between men and women's teams. So I, I'm not really mad <laughs> at the fact that, you know, the possibility of the Aces being paid more through different ways. And they're playing the same sport, right? So it's not like, oh, women's basketball is different or less intense than men's basketball. Like these are people putting their bodies on the line day by day. And and if they're injured, then they don't get to play and they don't get paid. So Right. The same toll on bodies relative, right? 
the same the same windows of opportunity to play and then having to live their lives and stuff yeah and my feeling from you know reading comments on social media is that people are kind of very forgiving in this you know in the in the instance of this scandal because to them it's not about you know the aces allegedly cheating the system it's about refocusing the spotlight on the sexist pay inequities in professional sports. So it tracks exactly with what Vogue is, uh, is saying. I mean, I get it. I, I imagine that you have to offer some manner of incentives or enticements to get the talented people to come, how that works out within the concept of inequity between teams is something they probably should be very, very thoughtful or more thoughtful about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and ironically, the collective bargaining agreement, kind of part of the purpose of that originally was to actually raise the salaries and put some systems in a parity with the NBA. So it yeah. raised revenue sharing from 20% to 50%. Mm. Um, it you know raised salaries. There are percentage increases, you know, annual cap increases built in through the you know the eight-year life of the contract. But it's kind of like this, you know, collective bargaining giveth but collective bargaining kind of taketh away at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people are seeing the limits of these salary cap structures mm-hmm. that uh, they have to put into place. And I think it's it's not just about how much they're being paid. I think it makes sense for the pay to be equal, but I also think it makes sense for them to be invested in like the spaces that they plan to be invested in for the way that they're treated and also to take into account, okay, if these are people with different types of bodies, <laughs> then keeping keeping that in mind and saying okay is there pay is there paid leave and what is that what does that amount look like um and how do, how does that balance out the amount of work that they've done because it's not these are not 9 to 5 jobs at all so yeah i think it, it's a wrap around thing it's not just the inequity about the salary but how are we investing in these teams as a whole yeah well, I hope this, uh, you know, salary cap issue doesn't overshadow kind of the bigger conversation of how we treat female athletes and in general. And I think I maybe, yeah. maybe some good can come out of uh, even an investigation of our beloved Las Vegas Aces. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part the net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. All right, let's move on to our next subject. I can't think of a more polar opposite to talking about women's athletics than talking about Jim Belushi. Everyone's favorite. Everyone's favorite. Uh, (laughs) He's definitely in the top two Belushis that we know. Jim Belushi (laughs) is coming to town, to Las Vegas, to hawk his cannabis brand. 
Uh, okay, so this is a growing trend. Who's his market? Uh, you I'm know, sorry. It's, it's coming to Las Vegas to hawk their cannabis brand. Exactly. The weed according to Jim. And he has his own farm up in Oregon and he grows weed uh, and he is coming to town to do a, a thing over at Planet 13, that giant cannabis dispensary just off the strip. This is a trend, like I said, a lot of celebrities out there doing the, the branding of cannabis. Now, I imagine that some celebrities are more involved in the cultivation than others. I uh, think we probably trust Willie Nelson more than we trust Steve Urkel. That's right, Jaleel White. I mean, I think both of them. You could trust them both. Can you? All right. Well, maybe uh, both of them more than Bella Thorne, who also has one. Who is that? I know. She's kind of like the kind of this like cannabis thing is sort of like the it's like the the weed version of the Vegas residency, right? When they come to town, hawk their their new weed brand, right? It's just I mean, uh, the Beebs got one. Uh, Of course, Snoop Dogg has it. Cheech, not Cheech, but Chong. Maybe maybe Cheech is in on that too. But hey, with all these celebrities uh, hawking cannabis, putting their names on it, maybe even being involved in the growing, is this a sign that weed has finally gone all the way mainstream? I think it always has been mainstream and people have just been quiet about it because, you know, there's the cloud of stigma above marijuana usage. And so I think if if you've got family or friends who are going to judge you as a result of it, you don't say as much. And I think for movie stars and stuff like that, I think they've got a little bit more freedom too to put their name on cannabis, especially if they live in, in a state where it's legal. So they're just like, all right. I mean, Snoop, Snoop makes sense. <laughs> like, like, this is the, this is Snoop's moment. And then now he has Martha Stewart. So now he's reaching across multiple like groups of people. I mean, would you be more likely, Andrew, to buy a strain or a packaging from your favorite celebrity? Who is your favorite celebrity, Andrew? Well, I probably would. I, I would say the Biebs. It would be my favorite celebrity. Really? But that's just because I just wanted to say the Oh, Biebs. baby, baby, baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I never I never heard that, that term of endearment before. I love it. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, not necessarily. I go for whenever I, whenever I, uh, you know, partake and uh, go to one of the uh, dispensaries, I am always drawn to sort of professional kind of naturalish looking packaging that says like, this is somehow actually connected to the original plant. So I'm not so much a yeah celebrity uh, weed brand buyer, but uh, I am kind of curious though, like the cultural sort of dominance of, of weed in the, you know, the national conversation and the amount of capital that's amassing behind it uh, I, you would probably have a good take on this, David. Like, when are we going to reach that tipping point when, you know, we hit federal legalization? It feels like that we should have hit that tipping point a long time ago. I'm, I'm impatient. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it has seemed to become bipartisan because while some stuff in Congress is black and white, cannabis is green, you know, and everybody yeah. likes wow. a little bit good of that answer. green. It's every brand of green, actually, because right? it is right? the money green. I yep. mean, when we had um, Commissioner Sarkabloom on here, he was like, uh, there's money to be made in, in pot. <laughs> like, was as like, Vogue likes to say, there's money in the banana stand. There's money in, yes, there's money in the weed stands. There's money in, in the gardening. I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see how many more stars end up investing in it. And I think some of them invest because it's just like, I already smoked this and why not? I get to have a garden and walk through my weed farm and yeah. What an interesting way to retire. And I think others, it's just like, 
it's a thing to put money in and it's it's cool. Like it's still it's still yeah. holding on to the cool, but the um the medicinal components of it I think are worthwhile. Yeah, so. and in answer to your question, Andrew, a lot of people think this might be the year for some real movement on federal legalization. The state of Nevada is making some moves even though it's legal here, they're kind of cleaning up some stuff. And federally, that might happen, too. I know that part of our congressional delegation is pushing for it because it does help all the people here. So we'll see if that happens. Quick fun fact, all marijuana sold in Nevada has to be grown in Nevada. So while Jim Belushi has his own farms up in, like, say, Oregon or whatever, to get the Jim Belushi strain here, it has to be grown here. And so how it comes from Oregon to Nevada, that is the mystery that nobody ever wants to talk about. illegal. (laughs) I'm just saying. But once it's in our cultivation centers, then it becomes legal because they could trace it and the whole thing, seed to Mm -hmm. sale. But how did we get that seed in the first place? That's kind of a mystery. All right, here's a rapid fire. What celebrity cannabis brand would you want to see hit the market? Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk. <laughs> I mean, really, he's done it all. He's he, you know, he brought skateboarding to you know the the, the uh, a level of national popularity that is just unheard of. Imagine what he could do with weed. Plus, skating, he's going high on the ramps. Wow. No. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that was a stretch. All right, folk. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, oh, that's what I was. Now, would it be Halloween Jamie Lee Curtis or would it be everything uh, everywhere? Everything everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that version of her. I think it, it needs to be marketed in multiple places. So, yeah, I, I vote for Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. I think she'd be phenomenal. I could imagine and, and it'd be like a tea. Like, she'd have a tea and then maybe she'd have, like, brownies and be like, you know, I'm not smoking that. I'm protecting my lungs. But there's other ways that I can consume this. And that would be, it would be a really wholesome brand. And I'm yeah. with it. Yeah. I'm going to go with Michael Sarah. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. You know, just this this sweet kind of artisanal indie weed, just, you know, maybe an introspective navel gazing weed. So, you know. I'd smoke some Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Give me a little Scott Pilgrim. That's what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I'd take on the world with that, with a puff of that. And wow. I want to hear the playlist. You know, Seth Rogen has all of this. Seth Rogen has an entire brand that is a lifestyle brand, and he has like these four hundred dollar, uh, I'm all putter outers ashtrays. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I was like, I don't. This is how you know I do not smoke. <laughs> he has these ceramic ashtrays, and they're really cool and very fancy. Uh, and he he took up ceramics as well, and so he went in a deep dive. Okay, so we've talked about. Basketball scandals, we've talked about weed, and now just for the trifecta, let's talk about gambling. At least one senator in Hawaii is proposing a bill to ban Nevada from advertising as casinos. Vogue, what's up with this? Ooh, it's so good and juicy. I'm in love with it. So number one, they want to ban Nevada casino ads, specifically ones that are licensed by the Nevada Gaming Commission. They don't want broadcasted on TV. They don't want it marketed in print. They don't want it on a billboard. They don't want a sign twirler. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) They're not playing on site at all. And they want to also create a general excise tax. And you'll, David, explain what a general, I don't even know how to say the words. Yeah, yeah, we'll hit that. What is a general excise tax? Please tell me. Okay, so there's also a part of that. So there's two parts to the bill from what I understand, uh, what you're talking about, and then a 30% excise tax for 
people who sell packages to come to Las Vegas or any gambling place. So that was so not connect. Nevada s- specific, but uh-huh. so there's vacation companies in Hawaii that sell casino junket packages, most or many anyway, to Nevada, but they want to put a 30% tax on that as well. Oh, so that's that's okay. the second part of it. So, okay. On top of that, so basically there's casino vacation packages. Now this proposed bill doesn't mention the Las Vegas Visitors and Convention Authority. It doesn't mention that advertising company. But you know who it does mention? Boyd Gaming yeah. by name. Yeah. They, and Boyd historically depends on tourism from people in, in Hawaii. Like reportedly 300,000 trips are made from Hawaiians, like two back and forth between Hawaii and Nevada, specifically Las Vegas. 50% of the rooms at the California, Fremont and Main Street Station are people from Hawaii. I guess the thing that's curious uh, to me about this story is that, to your mind, Vogue, is the implication that Las Vegas is, you know, not just tapping a market in Hawaii, but perhaps exploiting, you know, a, a, a population in Hawaii. That seems to be like the you know, kind of like the understory there. What, 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 what yeah. do you think? Yeah, it was, it's very clearly and high key targeting Hawaii. So when like the OG Boyd <laughs> like built the California casino in the seventies, uh, they were about to go bankrupt. And so it was like, crap, what am I going to do? We've got the California and the California is not bringing in Californians like I wanted it to. He used to work in Hawaii uh, and was a dealer on a gambling barge. And he was like, well, I know Hawaiians. I'm going to target people from Hawaii. Huh. So he brought over, Whore's beer <laughs> and did free like the the OG. What is the word? Like how timeshares get sold. <laughs> he was going back to Hawaii and was like, "Come to Doing Nevada. Come drink this free beer, and I'm going to teach you how to sell these lovely packages to the California casino." They went so far as to change the food, so the buffets weren't being like wealth. Like nobody wanted to eat the food at the buffets, and they said, "Well." What's a better idea? How do we serve the people who are coming here? We've got all these people from Hawaii here, but they're not eating our food. They changed the food in the buffets. So wow. they almost took Hawaiian culture and kind of packaged it, packaged the comforts of home in a different state so that they're away from their own tourists yeah. and they get to be a tourist here. That's next level hospitality right there. Bro, but it's kind of scary. And so I think what it also did it didn't just advertise come to Vegas. It also advertised come to Vegas and gamble. Come to Vegas and spend your money. David, you've done a lot of work with problem gambling. Um, mm. Do you think that cutting the ads in Hawaii will stop people from Hawaii coming here to gamble? Yeah, so that's really the ultimate question. So first off, there's only two states out of the 48 states that have no gambling whatsoever. Hawaii is one of them. Mm-hmm. Y'all guess what the other one is? It's Utah. It's Utah. Utah. (laughs) Always Utah. Yeah, well, there you go. Anyway, so uh, really, if you dig deep into like why the senator is doing it, what you're going to find is a lot of information about problem gambling, about the woes of gambling addiction, about the cost that Hawaii has to shoulder to deal with the dark side of people, especially Hawaiians, who have gambling addictions. And so what the senator is saying is like, look, one place is targeting us more than anyone else. Mm -hmm. One company owns like the big vacation package place here. It's a subsidiary of Boyd. And they're really like take, take, taking from Hawaiians. And then the Hawaiians are coming back and it's cost, cost, costing us. And we're we're, we're having problems with our, our citizens who are not doing well after they go to Las Vegas because mm-hmm. of that. And they're not getting their gambling here. So that's why they're targeting Nevada specifically. Now, the, the 
the bigger question is, will cutting ads stop Hawaiians from gambling or will it lower the levels of gambling addiction? And, you know, I don't know how that research shakes out in a lot of ways. And there were a lot of citations in, in some of the testimony that was heard yesterday at the Hawaiian legislature about like how somebody needs to be paying for all this treatment. Someone needs to mm. augment what's going on. And we don't have those bigger conversations. I mean, we we say we do. A lot of the casinos, including Boyd, have very robust, responsible gambling type programs. But whether it's enough or not, mm. whether or not they're paying enough for the treatment or the prevention of problem gambling, whether or not they're utilizing the various tools, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, to slow down gambling, to let people reflect upon it, to make sure they're not destroying their lives. You know, that's a question that Las Vegas doesn't really want to answer full blown. And I will say this last thing is that in in some of the testimony that the vacation packaging place gave to the Hawaiian legislature, they never mentioned problem gambling. Mm. And, you know, even some of the people who are tweeting out in Las Vegas, like our, our Mayor Carolyn Goodman, don't talk about problem gambling. And that is what the senator is saying is the impetus for all of this, though he's probably going about the wrong way and probably so, in an unconstitutional way. Here's my yeah. question, yeah. though. Is is it about the money? Like, is it about your... All of our locals are going out of town and spending their money somewhere else. So is it about the money or is it about we want to stop gambling, like we want gambling. Gambling is a major issue for our community. Which one do you feel like is the the major component here? I'll throw it to Andrew. Well, um, if I had to sort of divine the, the motives behind the proposed bill, uh, you know, it seems to be, you know, sort of public spirited in the sense that they want to protect the sort of health and well-being of, of, of Hawaiians. If it does, in fact, come down to problem gambling, in which case, it kind of makes something like, you know, an excise tax, a problem gambling tax cover charge kind of thing, um, sound like not a terrible idea in as much as it pushes resources to the social and economic consequences of gambling. Hmm. See, that's going to be the burden because of the Constitution to the United States. Uh, you know, it's commercial speech, right? It's advertising a legal business. And so that's the first threshold. The second threshold is, does this law actually protect the public safety, and they have to show why advertising increases problem gambling in Hawaii that they have to pay for. And that's going to be a very difficult uh, burden for them to to overcome. So that part of the law, right. probably dead in the water from a constitutional standpoint. The excise tax on the vacation packages, hmm, we'll, we'll follow that as well. That really kind of affects Boyd and, and, and Hawaiian businesses more than it potentially affects Las Vegas. <laughs> So we're in the middle of Black History Month, and I want to talk about events and stuff to do in Las Vegas. So what are you looking forward to this month? So many good things. Left of Center Art Gallery has a an exhibition about, um, it's called Blanket of Protection, and it's really an ode to... Uh, the Tuskegee Airmen. You get to see all these beautiful black pilots, just all these gorgeous skies that all the different painters painted. It's going to be at the West Charleston Library, and the reception is going to be on Valentine's Day, so February 14th, and it'll be at 5.30 p.m. It's free. It's open to the public. There will be snacks, and you get to meet the artists because the work is, is created by artists who are living, so... 
that's what I'm excited about. Awesome. And Andrew, you are the publisher of the list.vegas that has all the hot events to uh, hit on all sorts of topics, including, as yep. I know, Black History Month. So what are some of the good ones that the list.vegas is uh, putting out there and that you're interested in? Yeah, we've got a hot list of uh, 22 events uh, celebrating Black History Month. And two actually are really popping on my radar that I'm really excited about. Um, one is actually a two-day celebration. Um, the Contemporary West Dance Theater is doing a two-day Black History Month celebration mm -hmm. at the West Las Vegas Library. Bernard Gaddis, he's the, uh, the creative director of this dance group, and they just put on some of the most amazing dance performances at really cool venues in town. Saw their holiday show at uh, the Charleston Heights uh, Art Center. It blew my mind. I try to see every show. So that's one that's on my radar. I love that um, venue, too. Remember, that's yeah, just such so a that's great a venue. Great place. And uh, on uh, actually February 25th, there is actually a Black-owned market um, that's going to uh, happen at Ferguson's downtown. And it's actually going to be uh, curated by a local company called Tofu Teas, which oh is a, a black owned business that sells arts and crafts and, and cool shirts and stuff like that. The owner and, is um, super young, too. Like, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. eight years uh, old or something. I think she's like 14 <laughs> at this point. Oh, 14. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They've, they've really become a presence at Ferguson's downtown. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how they're going to be the, the nucleus of this curated uh, black owned marketplace experience uh, February 25th. What about you, David? Yeah, I'm going to throw in one or, or two. I'm curious about the Springs Preserve Black History Month Festival. It's going to be on uh, Saturday, February 18th from 10 to 4 p.m. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff. They're calling it a family-friendly festival with arts and it crafts is. and historic uh, exhibits. And then they're going to do some authentic African-American cuisine. Dance performance is all good. The thing that's caught my eye the most, however, is this year's theme is Black Resistance. I am really curious how they tackle that topic. You know, there's a lot in the news. Uh, I wonder if they're going to, how far back they're going to go, how far up they're going to come. So we'll see how that goes. Another one that I'm really looking forward to is a exhibit called Obsidian and Neon, Building Black Life and Identity in Las Vegas. Uh, yeah. And that's part of Nevada State College. They already had their opening reception, but it is an ongoing exhibit. Black and white photos of black icons in Las Vegas, including narratives curated by uh, everyone's favorite, Erica Vitalazar. The best. Um, oh, Erica. Yeah, she's amazing. Jeff Scheid is the photographer involved in that. And uh, Jeff has has done work in Las Vegas for, for decades. He's a great photographer. And let's not forget, shout out, one of the black icons in this wonderful exhibit is our own co-host, Vogue Robinson. It's me. Applause, applause, applause. And well-deserved. <laughs> um, also uh, a great part of that exhibit. So hopefully everyone will go check that out as well. Good alternative if you're not interested in watching the Super Bowl, but if you are interested in watching the Super Bowl this weekend, you know, go your team or go where you got your bet. <laughs> go get wings, eat the food, enjoy good company. <laughs> yeah. Go, Is there you anywhere go. you guys would recommend to go see uh, the, the Super Bowl? Like it's a movie. Go see the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on team. Let's find another activity to do. Okay. Yeah. Um, actually, so as publisher of the list Vegas, I, uh, I keep my finger on the pulse of events in Las Vegas, and uh, okay. that sounded terrible. Um, it did. <laughs> but, uh, well, there's a couple of parties on my radar. One of them actually is at the Nerd downtown. I don't know if you guys have been there, but it's like a cosplay video game bar. And oh. uh, of all the every Super Bowl party that you could imagine at every bar in the Valley is you, you know probably going to be 
pretty much your standard wings and drunkenness, you know, mayhem. But um, the, the the nerd uh, promises to, uh, you know, pump it up with their own specific cosplay flavor. So uh, that that's one that's on my radar that I might uh, pop on down to Neonopolis and check out. Oh, cool. You could dress up like Jim Belushi. Yeah, there you go. The <laughs> big old joint. There you go. Hey, thank you, folk. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us this morning on CityCast Las Vegas Roundup. You're welcome. Thanks, Great David. Fun talk. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson. Our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets. And our hosts are me, Tim Frigler, and Vogue Robinson. Music is by OG Moose, All the Kimonos, and Epidemic Sound. We record this show on the traditional homelands in the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, 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 and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Y'all take care. <laughs> I... <laughs> The silence was profound. Yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine. Yeah, I know, you almost sorry. took on an attitude of prayer. Oh, almost. Oh my god. <laughs>